0: Hi everyone, I am Shubh, and welcome to another episode of Little Wisdom, where we look into science and spirituality to strengthen our wisdom and self-awareness. Whew, that's a mouthful. Follow us on Instagram at littlewisdompodcast. Okay, so in the last few episodes, I've been speaking to you from my mind. Today, I want to talk to you from my heart, and I want to share some things that I learned about 11 years ago that have stayed with me and evolved over time but one of the main things has actually been about happiness and how I redefined what I thought happiness was. So if you're in for a little bit of a personal journey slash story, you're in the right place, get settled, and here we go. The purpose of our lives is to seek happiness. Those words were said by the Dalai Lama, and when I first read them, I thought, That's it. Nothing more magical or profound than that. Does that mean I can stuff my face with cupcakes because that makes me happy? Or buy a bunch of things? Drink a lot? Make some impulsive decisions? By the way, I don't do those things, just in case anyone's wondering. Except cupcakes, maybe that's true. But if these things do make me happy, and that is the purpose of our lives, then it seems like a straightforward answer, doesn't it? Well, it can until you look deeper. The Art of Happiness is a book by the 14th Dalai Lama and Howard Cutler, a psychiatrist who poses questions to the Dalai Lama in the book. The Art of Happiness explains something so simple that many of us have gotten wrong. Happiness is not pleasure. Many times we give into to short-term pleasure while foregoing long-term happiness. Now, this doesn't mean you deny pleasure, but if you're really seeking long-term happiness, then you need to start making balanced decisions now. My journey of rethinking happiness and what it means started in 2010 in Nepal. I remember seeing the most majestic of nature's creations, the Himalayas, and I forgot all about my rattling bones in the Nepali winter. I don't do well in winter, you guys, so I was freezing but I was also in utter awe and disbelief of these magnificent mountains. I've always been a bit of a mountain girl. I love mountains. I prefer to, to beaches and things. Um, they make me feel safe. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. And I don't know, I always say that when you're in the presence of a mountain, it's like being in the presence of a wise elder. You know, you feel, you feel insignificant, but you don't feel unimportant. I don't know if that makes sense. I really hope it does. But basically, wherever my gaze went, the peaks appeared through the mist. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was breathing right. And I realized that my lungs don't just stop midway through my chest, but they extend further below. There is more for me to breathe in with. The next morning, we watched the sun rise in all its glory over the mountain mountains and when i say we what i mean is all the people who had signed on for this community trip which is why we were there in the first place the peaks glowed an orange red as the sun touched them with its light our first day started with a trek to the school that we were supposed to help and for the locals it was probably a leisurely walk to get there to me it was an achievement to not pant within the first five minutes Feeling like I had climbed Everest Base Camp, we arrived at the village school. And it was nestled within the hills, very simple, very beautiful. We were greeted warmly by the teachers and welcomed with merry gold garlands and a red tika. Tika is the red dot in the forehead, on the forehead, not in. That would mean too much pressure. Um, And while we were not deserving of all of this honor, It definitely showed the generosity that the Nepali people have when it comes to hospitality and how they treat their guests. If you've never been to Nepal, oh man, do I recommend it. An opening ceremony swooning over the children and some touristy photographs later, we got down to work. We had come prepared with lesson plans, syllabus, methods, and all things that would make us true blue, efficiency-loving, and data-driven Singaporeans. But once we dug our hands into our tasks, we realized that planning doesn't always mean success. Giving them what they needed and giving them what we thought they needed were two very different things. And it was something we had to unlearn. You know, you can propose what you think is right, Maybe there's someone in your life right now or a friend or family member and you think this is right for you. Do it this way. But for the other person, it could make no sense because their journey could be something else altogether and their context is completely different. But when we would see the children react to praise, you know, a a mixture of pride, emerging confidence and being bashful, we felt, yes, we're doing something right. This works. And as hard as we worked, the children showed us how to play harder. There was no phones, there was no Xbox or any of the fancy gadgets. Their playtime involved playing catch, doing flips, jumping repeatedly over muddy water, and running around with a skipping rope, with one child each end of the rope. So it's not that they're skipping, they're just holding and running with it. During this, my expressions varied from laughter to fearful anticipation when they're jumping and then relief when they land on their two feet steadily. And through it all, break time became everyone's favorite lesson. It was at one of these break times that a little boy named Subhash indirectly challenged me to a game of catch. I was standing around taking it all in when a tiny stout figure teasingly hung around me. Now, I've played catch in the streets of Punjab as a child. And by streets, I mean like, you know, the cars are coming in, the bikes are coming in every now and then, and you're against the mean children of the neighborhood. (laughs) By mean, I mean they're really good at what they do, not mean as in mean people. So when you challenge me to a game of catch, you're picking on that memory, and I will go for it. But this little boy, he ran like the wind. And I wanted to name him Speedy Gonzalez because I felt like a clumsy ogre running after him. But I eventually did catch him, okay? (laughs) And I remember sometimes when I would carry Subash, he would close his eyes because of the rays of the sun that were falling on his face. And then he would giggle. After coming back to Singapore, I tried it too. I sat facing in the sun in the balcony and I closed my eyes. And when I thought of that memory, it made me giggle too. It made me realize that happiness is something that's always there. Whether you choose to embrace it or not is entirely your choice. And it's a choice that the children at the school are very familiar with. They don't need a reason to be happy. I feel we've formed a mindset of effort and reward in our lives. And we've applied it to every aspect of our lives. We believe that there needs to be some some form of suffering for lack of a better word, before we can enjoy rewards. We've baked joy and happiness into tiny little biscuits, which we only allow ourselves to eat when we have a reason to. But what if happiness is without reason? What if we can be happy right now, in this moment? By that, I don't mean start laughing like an ecstatic evil Disney villain but taking in a deep breath of contentment and being calm and feeling that silent joy for all you have. There is something in your life right now that you wanted years ago, weeks ago, months ago, maybe moments ago, and you have it right now. And when you were praying for it or hoping for it, you thought, if I could just have that, it's going to make me happy. But how long has it been since you've had it? and that happiness or gratitude has not been felt. But this is why children all over the world, maybe not just at the school, are happy most of the times, because they have this ability, this effortless strength, if I can use that oxymoron, to drop pain and find happiness everywhere. They don't look at what they want next. If they do, it's momentary, but they'll find something to be happy about. At the school, that's pretty much what it was like. Lots of laughter, lots of togetherness, lots of learning and unlearning, and the time to say goodbye came just as fast. There was a dance performance from the school and from us. We danced to Waka Waka. Thank you, Shakira. (laughs) And we expressed a lot of gratitude, and we took a lot of photographs. I remember at one point, when the principal was giving the closing speech, Subhash was sitting in my lap. As he looked up and spoke to me in Nepali, I had no idea what he was saying. So, half confused, I repeated the last word he said. He looked at me for a second, and then he went back to playing with my bracelet. In that moment, I clearly remember thinking that this child doesn't know who I am, where I'm from, what my life is, but he knows that I care for him. And I didn't even need to say it. I didn't even need to speak his language because there is a language beyond words. Think about someone you have met and you maybe don't speak each other's languages very well. Or even if you do, there's been some times or some moments when their actions have showed that they care, that they feel something and you know it and they do too. As we left that day, some of us teary eyed, the trek back seemed quieter. Later on, some of us were contemplating missing the flight back to Singapore, pooling together a few hundred rupees, and starting life on a farm in Nepal. As we laughed and hesitantly boarded the plane, somewhere in my heart, I knew I would be back. And I have been twice, and I plan to again. It's so ironic. We all went to the school to teach the children and they taught us important life lessons and happiness instead. We as humans can be so limited by our thinking about the world and the people around us that we've forgotten what it's like to just be, to do the silly little things that make us happy. We push them aside precisely because we think they're silly and because they're little and because what will people think? But even the tiniest things, my friend, hold the biggest power. One small drop starts a ripple, one seed holds a tree within, and one mosquito can ruin your sleep. It has been in my case. Um, But anyway, back to happier thoughts. To go somewhere with no expectations, but come back feeling brand new from the inside is unlike any other trip that I've had. It's made me question so many things about life, about lifestyle. What are we going to do with all of this stuff, with all of this access? And if our society is indeed more knowledgeable, or more civilized, as we say, then why are so many people so unhappy? So many of us are layered with materials, tricks, games, and self-created complications just so we can deal with other people when in actual fact, were are all the same on the inside. I don't know what was in that Himalayan air, but the effects sure last years on. I felt how spiritually poor our first world society is in relation to theirs, how little peace we experience in our lives, and how we are riddled with complications and hesitate to feel happy, hesitate to feel vulnerable, and hesitate to share our honest emotions. While we may have materials in abundance, it can't make up for the wealth of simplicity. I hope you enjoyed listening to this ranting. I was very, very hesitant to share this because it doesn't exactly involve a scientific coherence. But I also know that some of you will have taken something away from this as food for the soul. In a nutshell, remember that happiness may not be what we think it is, and do not confuse it with short-term pleasure. You exercising daily for 15 minutes may not be pleasurable, but in the long term, when you feel better about your health, that will bring you happiness. But it doesn't mean that you deny pleasure every chance you get. It's all about finding the balance between the two, I think. Also, something doesn't always need to happen to be happy. When you feel there's too much going around and you're frustrated and you're just like, "Ugh, what is going on? Pause, take a moment and feel thanks for something that you wanted then, but you have now. And that can bring you some amount of contentment. Happiness is a practice and practice makes perfect. I want to leave you with a quote from the book. The more honest you are, the more open and less fear you will have, because there is no anxiety about being exposed or revealed to others. Thank you, Dalai Lama. And if you haven't gotten the book, um, I would go. I would recommend that you go check it out, borrow it from a library, read it online, Kindle, whatever you want. Um, I have the actual book because I, well, don't like reading stuff on Kindle. Yes, I am that person. I like to hold books and flip through pages because I feel that has history. All right, so this is Weird Me, thanking you all for listening and staying to the end if you have made it this far. Um, I also want to point out that some of the participants from the project have gone on to form the initiative called Little Big Dreams to continue to inspire and be inspired by the children. The project that I was talking about in this podcast was a five-year project when I was in college. And after the five years, some of them and some very dear friends of mine have gone on to do something a little more to continue to help the children um, and the people in the village. So, check out Little Big Dreams. Um, I'm going to link their Facebook page in the description, and maybe you can check that out. All right. All right. Take care, everyone. I'll see you next time. Stay happy, practice happiness rather, and stay wise. Bye, everyone.